Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cares Talks. Today, I have a very special guest with me. I have the author and speaker of I Have Anxiety, So What, Wes Woodson. Uh, Wes, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I am super honored to be here. I've been a fan from afar, and now I'm here now to on the show. I feel super honored. And I'm your first guest. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing to me. Yes, this is a very special um, episode of uh, my podcast, but I really, um, you know, want to talk to you today about how, you know, one, just how, you know, you got to where you are now, and uh, two, why don't you just start, um, you know, actually, why don't you just start with telling us a little bit about you and how the book even came to be? Yeah, okay. Just dive into my personal story. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, yes, yeah, so I grew up in a very small kind of middle-class community. It's a small town called Sharon, Massachusetts. So if you can picture it for context, it's kind of like your stereotypical suburban neighborhood with like the fresh cut grass, the long driveways and the house made of brick. And I grew up in this neighborhood feeling like I was alone because this neighborhood was a primarily, primarily white neighborhood and my family was one of the few black families in this neighborhood and I often felt you know too white for the black kids and too black for the white kids and I didn't really know where to kind of find my own space right and I kind of struggled with that sense of identity all throughout elementary school all through middle school and in middle school I had this like skin condition called vitiligo now it's it's like the same thing Michael Jackson has and the reason why I always bring this up in my story is I was always struggling with testing anxiety. So in the school system, like I was, I sucked at taking tests. I sucked at taking spelling tests, math tests, science tests, all that. I was terrible. And that was something that was going on inside of me. And I would do all of this. I would do anything I could to really hide that aspect of me because no one would really kind of know what was happening inside of me. But when I came to when it came to vitiligo, these white spots, I just I had trouble because now I had these visual things on my hands, my face, my feet and my knees that people could see that something was wrong with me. And that was kind of one of the first moments of my life where I felt like very much ashamed of myself. But that's like a whole in depth yeah. into my story. But fast forward, you know, through middle school and dealing with the anxiety of having test anxiety, the social anxiety of having a rare skin condition uh, and matching that with not really feeling like you have a, really, like a solid place. Um, I would do this pattern of just pretend to be something I was not. And that pattern continued all through elementary school, all through middle school, all through high school. When I got to college, I was way really kind of, <laughs> I still had those invisible wounds, you know, and I <laughs> kind of went through something that I think we're going to get through it, we're going to get to in the later in this podcast, um, that really kind of had a mark on me. And I uh, decided to take my voice back by writing a book. And that's kind of in short, I know I, I didn't gotta go in detail about what happened, but I will in the, in the later in the podcast. Uh, but that's kind of how the book came to be. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for telling us about that. I know it can be kind of hard sometimes to really be, you know, vulnerable and, you know, put yourself out there and everything like that. And so with that, I do have to ask, you know, being a man um, and the society we live in today, uh, what was your initial thought when you decided to use your voice and to write a book? Yeah, it was kind of like, I felt like I was in the lowest point of my life. And 
for context, I was in an abusive relationship and I was a victim of domestic violence. And even worse, I just felt like I had no say in the matter. Because when you think about domestic violence victims, you, you think it's primarily females, right? It's never, right. It's, I mean, I, I never want to say never, but it's not common that it's a male. And when it happened to me and there was always the rumors, but on campus and all that stuff, I felt like I had no voice. I felt like I had no story. I felt like, in fact, it was quite the opposite. And it was this deep fear, this deep, excessive sense of worrying about what would happen if I didn't have a sense of a voice. Uh, and I was in my lowest point of my life. I mean, I was hospitalized and it was while I was in the hospital, and I was learning all of these different ways of learning how to coexist with my anxiety that I had this idea. I was like, you know, what if I kind of wrote all of this down somewhere? And it really started with a journal. Like I had just started journaling every day when I kind of would come home at the end of this visit. And I would learn all these kind of secret things, like the fact that our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors, they're all kind of interconnected or the, the idea of having a toolbox, like a metaphorical toolbox on how to really learn how to like, you know, have positive and healthy coping mechanisms that you can use. And I was writing all this stuff down in my journal and I had so many friends who dealt with anxiety, who dealt with depression, who dealt with suicidal ideation, who had failed suicide attempts. And I was learning all this stuff. And I'm like, why, why, why do I have to go to the lowest point of my life to get access to this level of knowledge, right? And that's kind of where the, the idea sparked my mind to write a book. Because I couldn't run outside and be like, if you have anxiety, do these five things. Like, no, I'd be looked at like I'm wild. So I, I wrote a book about it. And it was all about trying to empower other people to not feel ashamed of their mental health challenges. And that's kind of the title of the book, I Have Anxiety, So What? It's kind of how to unapologetically own your anxiety. It's kind of the way I've, I've owned it and I look at it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good um, way of talking about it too, is like the toolbox. Um, if yes. anyone uh, reads your book, um, as I have obviously read it, uh, ah. you do talk about the toolbox and you yes. talk about you know the things you need to you know, help yourself mentally. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Totally. So when, when I was in, I, I call it anxiety school. So for reference, I was hospitalized and I was, I was given three options. One, I could go see my therapist and be put on, back on medication. Two, I could go into an inpatient program, which is where you'd like stay in the hospital for a period of like maybe three weeks, I think, um, and receive intensive psychiatric care. Or the third option, which is the option I chose, um, which is you go to this mental health facility for five hours a day, five days a week. And at the end of every day, you get to go home. So it's like a day program. And I ended up calling that day program anxiety school in the book because it was a lot like school. I was in group therapy with other kids. And it was one of the first moments of my life that I felt like I found a sense of belonging because now I had, I was learning, I was meeting other kids who oh, were experiencing. Exactly. Exactly. So while we're in this, like these group therapy sessions, I'm learning all these secrets, like how to have a toolbox, like how to actually learn not to suppress your anxiety, but to learn how to coexist with it. So in the book, that's kind of what I really delve deep into the idea of using these magical things. Like for me, it's exercising, like exercising is a huge thing for me. Uh, like Katie, my girlfriend, who, who you met, uh, like we work out together or right? we go to the gym and Yes, we hold each other accountable to go in the gym, right? Like that's 
sessions. Like it really helps mentally. I, I have to say, honestly, that has been one of my outs too. Exactly. Right. And like another thing I use like a lot is gratitude, like gratitude. And it was the biggest thing. One of the biggest things they taught us um, in anxiety school that I mentioned, the outpatient program is practicing gratitude. Now you can, you can practice it by yourself or you can practice that with a, with a friend or a partner. Now I'm lucky that I do both. So I practice it by myself, but Katie and I have this thing. We have this thing called uh, grateful threes. So at the end of every day, we, we, we tell each other three things that we're grateful for. Wait, that's, um, that's actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's the thing we do, right? And it helps both of us kind of recenter and it's just so helpful. And I, I talk about that too, a lot in both of my speeches and the book. Very helpful. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I think it's great that, you know, you're able to share that with, you know, yeah. your girlfriend. I think like, mm. you know, sharing it with like a partner or someone, you know, um, I obviously don't have the same problem right now, but oh. I think, you know, when you talk about the toolbox, it makes me think back because I did outpatient therapy as well. Yeah. And um, we were taught uh, DBT, dialectical behavior therapy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found very useful with that is to, like you said, be grateful, but it's really to kind of stop and like appreciate the small things, like go outside and appreciate the flower. I know it sounds crazy, but once you train your brain to like be more mindful and stuff like that, which was a huge one as well. And I think that mindfulness and all the things that they teach us in outpatient therapy are honestly things that people should know to begin with. So like you said, the fact that it took that low to get that information, that's a huge reason why, you know, I wrote my book too, is because I wanted people to know that like, you need to use your voice now and you need to have the same resources that I did and that I have. It's only fair. So I think that's great that you, you know, are able to share that with Katie and, you know, really, it just helps, you know, keep each other, you know, grounded too. So I think that's really cool. Uh, it's great. And I, I, and it's something that, to be honest, like she was one that started the whole grateful three things in our relationship, even though I learned the practice and the importance of expressing gratitude, but uh, you're right. It is helpful to have that person and you don't need a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a partner no, to do this. No. Like you can do it with your best friend. Like, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Uh, but it's all about trying to you need to know that too like you don't need someone like you don't have to complete yourself I I used to think that like oh my god if I didn't have a guy I wasn't worth it and it's like now I'm like I'm thriving and someone can come to me you don't go to them ladies let me tell you that (laughs) I totally agree with that and I I, it's so funny you bring that up because that's kind of the mindset I had in college right like I, I, I always had this deep need to feel excessively validated by other people. So it was kind of like, I, I was looking for that external validation. I looked for that in a partner. And when I found that, when I went looking for it, and I found that into a partner who did validate me excessively, it made me blind to the person's red flags, right? Like, cause then I became dependent on that person. I had no sense of personal space. I had no sense of independence. And then there was this thing that not many people understand it's 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 called gaslighting right i'm not sure if you heard of it but yeah if you want to elaborate on that please please yeah it's a form of manipulation it's in short it's a very form of of manipulation so how the best way i can describe it is let's say me and this said person would get into an argument and this person was in the wrong right but i i would be arguing with this person a lot about their bad behavior and she would make me feel like i was in the wrong for even saying something 
And it would drive me up a wall because I would really feel like I was either the craziest person on earth for having these feelings, uh, having these, these, these thoughts, um, when in reality I wasn't. And it really took a police officer putting his hand on my shoulder, telling me that none of this stuff I was going through was normal. Like, this is not a normal, nor is it a healthy relationship. But then, you know, after I kind of went through like a long time of self-reflection and not really looking for anyone, that's when Katie kind of popped into my life. And that's where like the moment I wasn't looking for it, that's when someone who not only validated me in ways that I needed, but in healthy ways too, Mm -hmm. right? Now I have a personal space. You know what I mean? Oh, that's just not funny. Relationships, you know? That's perfect. I love that. I think that's, you know, I think what's funny is sometimes you have to go through these, um, you know, mountains to realize, you know, to get to where it's flat and where you can actually really just like run with it. And I think that relationships, um, I don't think people realize as much in high school and college, as much as that plays a role on mental health and girls perspective. I, you know, you said the whole validation thing and I totally agree. And for me, you know, I haven't really dated many people. Mm. I've gotten used a lot. So mm. for me, my skewed perception was mm. this behavior is okay, when in reality, it was not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it messes with you mentally, because, you know, from a guy's perspective, I kind of want to hear about like, what you would say um, would be, you know, what you thought you had to, what image you thought you had to uphold in college. And even in high school, do you think there was a way that you thought that you needed to treat women or needed to have a certain amount or something like that? Yes. Oh my goodness. I mean, I went to an all boys Catholic high school, right? So that's just a bunch of testosterone and just macho-ness all combined in a very small combined space. Um, So there was definitely, definitely that imagery of like, no, no feelings, no sense of vulnerability. You have anxiety. What? Just suck it up, man up. Like, come on now. But in college, right? In college, it was a little bit different because now I'm in a co-ed environment. Now I have girls around me. And now I am paying extra attention to how I'm coming off. And I was a student leader uh, in college. I was I was president of the Black Student Union on campus. And there was very much this expectation or this image that I thought I had about myself. And I thought other people had about me, which is also pretty funny because no one really cared about this one detail. But I really thought to complete that macho-ness, I had to have a girlfriend, right? I had to have a girlfriend. So I went out looking for one. And when I found one, it wasn't the best one. <laughs> and it turned out to be very, very, very bad. And it backfired. But you really can't um, look for it. You really can't look for it. That's one thing I've learned. <laughs> you really, really Katie and I bumped into each other at a party, like, like literally just bumped I was on each other you know it's like the actual movie <laughs> I mean I, how we met is is kind of a, is a story that belongs in the movie in my personal opinion but um yeah I in college I definitely had that image of you know I think I have to be strong and feelings aren't a thing and going to therapy is not a thing um and just kind of really it's all insecurity to be honest if I can really just dwindle it down to one thing it's insecurity Oh yeah. I definitely think that that's something that a lot of guys try to hide is the fact that they need to be this certain way. And so, you know, do you think a lot of men are actually being themselves or do you think a lot more of them are actually more hurting and vulnerable inside? Yeah. And that's a great question. I think, um, 
to your point, a lot of men are hurting. A lot of us are hurting and we don't know how to express it. And I remember when I started being open about my own journeys, I had former classmates who went to the all boys Catholic high school that I went to. And they reached out to me, telling me about failed suicide attempts, telling me about prescription, prescription drug addictions, um, all these things. And mind you, that's an, that's an Instagram DM. That's not even like, that's not even like in person. So of course there's still that sense of, is this right to do? You know what I mean? Um, and I, I'm glad if I could be that person that could just stand up and say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling and I'm talking about it. Cause that's kind of what I do. You know what I mean? I really don't believe in hiding it anymore. Um, I don't believe in putting on that fake face anymore. Now don't, don't get it wrong. Like I know I'm still good at hiding the emotions. Sometimes I'm getting better at communicating and being vulnerable, both in my relationship and with my friends and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a progressive journey, but uh, I, it's one I had to learn and one I have to take one day at a time. Yeah. I didn't know how to do that for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely hard to kind of be vulnerable and open yourself up, but what do you think is, you know, advice you would give to maybe there's some guy who thinks he has to be a certain way, but really is hurting. You know, how do you think that they should go about their life and moving forward? It's so interesting because the moment I started being open about my anxiety and my mental health struggles, no one has ever called me weak. Like, no, I mean, in fact, I've actually received the inverse, the exact opposite reaction, right? Like maybe I've gotten like, oh, I don't understand. Can you elaborate on that more? But the moment I do, the one thing I've always got is like, oh, like, you're so vulnerable. And like, I think we grow up thinking and viewing vulnerability as a sign of weakness rather than a sign of strength. Yeah. And whether it's me speaking, whether it's the book, whether it's this podcast right here, like we're having a very much of a vulnerable conversation. Right, of course. And I guarantee someone's going to hear this and listen to your other podcast, and they're going to see you being very vulnerable, but that's not going to be a sign of weakness. It's going to be a sign of strength. So what I would tell to a male listener is that you really, really, really have to hammer into your mind that being vulnerable is not weak. Being vulnerable is not weak at all. I think there was a comedian, actually. I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was Kevin Hart or someone. And him like let's use Kevin Hart for example like Kevin Hart he's short he's a short man (laughs) he's a short man and he's a comedian and part of his comedic act is he just pokes fun at himself he pokes fun at the fact that he's short so when you poke fun when you use the thing that a bully or someone else would use against you what do they have (laughs) no it's so true I I, I, it's funny you say that because I was very badly bullied as you know and um you know, whenever I was in middle school, I mm. called Marvin the Martian because my nose was mm. too big, my teeth were mm. yellow, apparently my hair was frizzy. And now mm. my dog's barking in the back. Um, and now I'm to the point where, uh, you know, I'm very like, okay with it. I'm like, all right, it would be cool to be a Martian and not from here. Like, you know what I mean? Like if I was in front of you, that'd be pretty cool. Like, so right. I think it's, uh, I think Love it is it. good to poke fun at yourself for sure. Wholeheartedly. And that's another thing I talk about in the book too, about changing that story. Because yeah. every day, every day we wake up and tell, tell a story about ourselves every day. And sometimes we don't even acknowledge that story telling ourselves. Whether that story is you're you're shitty, you're not good enough. Sorry, can I swear in this podcast? I don't even want to swear. I didn't even swear. That, did I swear? No, you're fine. I, I think I said shit on my podcast before, honestly. Okay. All right. Cool, 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 cool. cool. Gotta well, be, sometimes it happens. You know what I mean? Like, it slips. 
I don't know. I always had to ask. I should have asked that before we pressed record. But <laughs> um, but yeah, whether you're telling what it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, whether you're telling yourself you're not good enough, you're a shitty person, or you're ugly, or you're fat, we tell ourselves a story about ourselves. But one thing they taught us, again, I always refer to it in anxiety school, is you have the power to change that story. You have the power, the power to flip that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, for me in my life, just like you, you were bullied when you were in middle school and you recalled all, all those kind of names because of your physical appearance. My physical appearance was I had these spots on my hands and I was called like, you know, Leopard Boy, Oreo, Michael Jackson, all these different names. And it took a kid who I met literally later on in life, he told me that my spots are actually pretty cool. They actually made me pretty unique. And it was this first example of me kind of experiencing how you could just change that narrative. You know what I mean? Like you have the power to really change that narrative. And I, I love that. And I want to spread that power to the people that you can have the power yeah. to spread that narrative. I love that. You have the power to change your narrative. I think that's really important. Um, yeah. You know, I think that that's really really something people need to embrace, you know, and, and yes. really kind of make it as positive as possible. So yes. the last question I have for you is, so the holidays are obviously coming up and, you know, this actually isn't the most easy time for a lot of people. No. Uh, what do you think, you know, people should be doing who maybe were in your position a couple of years ago and you know, you're struggling to put on a fake face um, for the holidays. I mean, I used to do that. Um, but what do you think that, you know, male especially, um, should do if they're, you know, they don't have a good family life or they don't have a good holiday thing. What are some alternative things that they can do? So they know that their life is still worth living. Mm, That is a very, very powerful and a very, very heavy, heavy question. I know. Because all these questions have been great. All these questions have way, way been great. You know, honestly, when I think back to my personal experience, when I was at that lowest point, I started reaching out to people. You know, I started really reaching out because at first, you know, I I thought that my parents wouldn't understand. I didn't think my siblings would understand. So I tried to ask myself who would understand. And it started with being my friends, my, my kind of my close circle of friends. But even that may not be something that people can have in their in their corner even that might not be something that's realistic because I, I I know there's people out there right now will be like I'm not going to tell my friend I'm having anxiety because they're going to look at me like I'm some weaker quote-unquote crazy person right but what I would do actually is if it really does depend on your situation but what I would do actually if I'm not not a way to think about it I would go on google right now and I would type in um psychology today and psychologytoday.com which is something i typed in myself it is like this mental health hub of like all these different resources there's how to find a therapist there's zillions gazillions of articles on any mental health disorder from depression depression to anxiety to body dysmorphia like there is so much and the reason why i say there's a bunch of reading is the biggest thing we do when we come, when it comes to our mental health challenges, we judge what we don't understand. So what I mean by that is, let's say you're feeling anxiety. Let's say you're feeling like you can't get out of bed. You're going to say, I'm a shitty person. I don't know how to live with this feeling anymore. So I think it might be easier if I just 
Yeah. Not yeah. here for a while. Not here forever. Yeah. And it's because we don't understand what these feelings are. And the reason why I bring that up of psychology today, and mind you, there's other mental health resources out there. There's a millions of them. Um, and you know, including our books, but uh, there's millions of them out there. But like when you start to read these articles and you start to learn that these feelings of anxiety are natural, right? They are natural. They just become excessive to a point where it becomes disorder, which affects your life. But when you read all these things, you learn that you're not alone. And I think that's the biggest thing that most men feel like. They're the only ones who have this feeling and there's not a way to reach out to help. So in short, that's what I would do. I, I'm, a, I'm a resource guy, I like to read a lot of things. It's kind of like why I wrote a book too. Yeah. <laughs> um, for it, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I try to start to understand because I think we judge what we don't understand. That's and once you can yeah, bring a sense of awareness to it, it really allows you to take a different course of action. Yeah, no, that that's that's a great answer, honestly. I really think you should be speaking at like every school in front of males, especially. I think ah, that's the lot. goal. That's <laughs> the goal. That's the goal. Take the show on the road fully. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, thank you so much for you know doing this and you know for being a part of this. This is my first one with us, ah, guest, so it's exciting. But um, I just uh, thank you. Like, I'm very happy that you shared all this, and I hope that this can help someone else maybe through their own struggles or, you know, especially men, because, you know, people need to understand men have mental health too. Um, yes. And I think that that's really great that you're doing what you're doing. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I feel like before we even close, I, I feel I do have to spread one more thing. One more thing. Uh, obviously, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't even know when this would air. What one? I'm not sure when this would air, but um, right now, uh, my my goal in my life is to really creatively drive awareness around mental health to propel the conversation forward in order to break that stigma. Um, in short, my goal is to really change the story on mental health. Uh, so what we do, uh, what I do, is I try to creatively do so. And what we're doing in the spring is we're actually coming out with a mental health film. That oh, yes. Tell me actually yeah. about that. Oh my gosh. Yes. 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 I would be terrible if I didn't even tell people about I can't that. I believe I forgot that. I oh, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, but yeah, so we're we're in the process of fundraising right now uh, to produce to raise enough money to produce this film. And what we're what this film is actually is telling the story about what therapy can do for your life. And the reason why we're doing that is because I read an article like a few months ago that said like close to 50% of Americans who actually have a clinically mental health diagnosis. So they have a mental health disorder. They don't get help. They don't seek yeah. out treatment, which is largely due to the stigma that exists around mental health and talking about mental health. So I had this idea. I was like, you know, we, we talk about famous people all the time. We talk about TikTok stars. We talk about, uh, I don't know who's on the bachelor. We talk about anything. Right. But like, we don't talk about therapy. You know, we don't. And we talk about all these people that we love to watch on TV, but what, what can they do for our lives that makes it better? What, they offer 60 minutes of escapism? Like, that's great. You're going to go back at the end of that to hating your life or not knowing how to deal with your problems. So why not talk about the thing that could help you with your life? And I really believe it's all about making therapy famous. And that's kind of what the tagline is of this whole campaign. But we're telling the story about three people who don't go to therapy at first 
and we talk, we, we show why they don't go to therapy. And then we show when they do go to therapy, what happens. And it's, it's an amazing script. I have a whole production team with me. Um, it's lovely. We have actors, producers, all those wild stuff. And it's coming out May 2022, National Mental Health Awareness Month. And it's exciting. It's a short film. So I'm excited. I cannot wait to, to share. So I'm not sure when this goes out, but stay tuned for more. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yes. That's awesome. (laughs) So I'm excited. I'll close now. Um, So thanks everyone else for listening and uh, tune back in next time. Uh, Let's thank Wes. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Go ahead and order his book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's called I Have Anxiety, So What? And we will be back.